It's uh, freeing yourself from other people's expectations. That's where the other noise comes from. The career that your parents wanted you to have, the career that your, you know, the guidance counselor or your advisor in college told you you should be having, the the job that your peer has that you don't have yet. Like we're all on our own path, so you need to give yourself grace to live on your own path and let go of other people's expectations and probably your own expectations. You're listening to The Lowdown, a podcast recorded at Sigma Kappa National Headquarters by Alex Green and Sarah Goodwin. We'll focus on topics like health, wellness, fraternity and sorority community, higher education, and life skills that women need in all stages of their lives. We'll also feature stories from inspiring, empowering, and ambitious Sigma Kappas. Tune in every other week for a new episode to help drive your personal growth forward. Welcome back to the Lowdown Podcast. I'm Alex. And I'm Sarah. And today we have Stephanie Crevins with us. So welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Stephanie's really cool. She is a pro troublemaker and has experience in nonprofit marketing, HR consulting, and leadership development, and is now a coach who focuses on cultures that love their people, want them to stay, and want to keep being awesome. How great is that? Which is, yeah, I completely agree at an organization. But let's go back to the beginning because I'm sure a lot of our members or our lowdowners are wondering what a pro troublemaker is and where that term came from. Yes. So what is this? Yeah. A couple of years ago, I was searching for the label of the people that I wanted to work for. And over the course of my career, I've been labeled a troublemaker. I've been called ambitious. I've been called, you know, you always have these high standards. And it took me a long time to reconcile that yeah, I do have high standards. Yes, I am ambitious. Yes, I want to do great things with my life and, and it's my not career. a bad thing. No. <laughs> but you know those labels, we throw those at each other as a way to keep each other in check, and that's not helpful mm-hmm. um, to our organizations, to our own development, and to our relationships within the workplace. And so I was, I kept coming back to this term troublemaker, and it doesn't exactly have the best connotation kind of standing yeah. out there on its own. And the more I did research into the combination of leadership, innovation, change management, frankly, the word just pro-troublemaker came out. I was like, that's what it is. You know, not just run-of-the-mill troublemaker, not just, you know, kind of going blindly from your day-to-day trying to figure out what you're doing, but someone who is intentionally challenging the status quo, Mm -hmm. challenging our organizations with positive intention. You know, a pro-troublemaker is someone who is optimistic. They're mission-focused. They're growth-oriented. They see the best in people. They're curious one, who doesn't want to be that, right? I was like, yeah, oh, I want yeah, to be that. Yeah. I want to be that. Um, but the pro troublemaker is the person that brings people together. You know, they see growth and opportunity where other people might want to nitpick what success is. Well, when you use the term, the term challenge the status quo, that can people can see that as negative. So yes. I like that you say that they're, that they're positive and they bring people together and they aren't just that devil's advocate and they aren't just being pessimistic about life. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. On the flip side of it is what I labeled the troublemaker. So that is the devil's advocate. That's the person when they walk into the room, you're like, oh, why is she here again? She always complains or she's always the first person to tell us why something won't work. Mm -hmm. You know, they nitpick. And the beauty behind that is that there's good intention there. Troublemakers want to make a difference. That's why they're speaking up. That's why they're taking their energy to bring up their ideas. They're just not very effective at it and they need help flipping to 
to the light side, yeah. not the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> so can you kind of talk about how supervisors or employers can lift those people up and foster that pro-troublemaker side and that it isn't a bad thing, so don't yes. be scared of it when they have someone in their office that is that. Yeah, and I want to go back to the point we just um, talked about earlier about challenging the status quo before I answer that question, yeah. if that's okay. You know, I think it can come across as threatening, right? You have someone who wants to come in and change how things have been done, and if you don't have positional authority, you know, you don't have the right title to make that happen, you have to learn to use influential authority within your organization. So that means leveraging the relationships mm -hmm. and your skill set and your own personality to make things happen, so that peer-to-peer -peer accountability that you're going to need to leverage until you have the COO title, until you have the CEO title. Well, and the secret is even when you have those titles, you still have to leverage influential authority, not just positional authority. But but that does come across as threatening. But the reality is, is our organizations and our cultures are going to die if we don't innovate. And so if someone is threatened by it, you got to learn to let that go. And so as a supervisor, right, you're responsible for your people, you're responsible for a budget, for results, for what your team accomplishes. You have to check your ego and see the good intentions of what the troublemaker is trying to accomplish and thank them for their contributions, for participating, for putting energy into it, for bringing up these issues, and then coach them on how to present that information. Yeah. You know, help them understand that it's not either or because oftentimes it's a no but mm -hmm. you know what's really more effective yes and yeah because it's not that black or white if you're yeah. going to innovate if you're going to grow if you're going to see new results it's usually a yes and to a situation not an either or or black and white type of situation so my advice for supervisors is make sure that you're checking your own trigger points your own emotional trigger points as to why that person might be setting you off and be willing to listen and hear what they have to say even though the way they deliver it is maybe not in the most effective way but your job as a supervisor is to coach them on how to communicate more effectively Sarah knows this about me, and I, and I just had kind of a, an epiphany probably, gosh, a month or so ago, and I can come in to meetings, and I can listen to other people's ideas, and I could probably come off negative sometimes of mm -hmm. like because I am the support, and so I'm thinking of all the things that I need to do or that can go wrong or all, all of that side, but it's not that I'm a negative person. It's that... I need to see all of the problems before I can see the solutions. It's mm. almost like I have to see all the things that go wrong so I can come up with solutions. But I have learned that I need to keep that quiet or maybe just write it down. And so I liked when you were saying that yes and and mm -hmm. not no but. Like I just no, but we could do this. Like that doesn't come off great. I'm learning that. <laughs> that know. is true. People do not like that phrase. No, they really, really don't. Yes. Because I just think that you're just shooting down all their ideas. And that's yes. not how I look at it. But it, that's not the point. You know, yeah, it's, yeah. it's how they're going to see it. Well, and your gift is probably in the, pro the, the developing the full process, really mm -hmm. thinking very deeply about what it takes to get something off the ground, to problem solve before they arise. So you're proactive. Mm -hmm. We need those gifts. We don't need them all the time. <laughs> and so your your invitation is to think more strategically. So, okay, how do I get out of the process and think mm -hmm. about results and brainstorm results and goals right now yeah. and know that I'm going to invite them into a process conversation and a troubleshooting conversation yeah. later, but we can't talk about all of that all the time. Yeah. We need to stay focused on results and possibilities right now and how can I participate in that? 
because I'm a results and possibilities person. You know what my downfall is? Is I think that something that really takes four months, I'm like, oh, that's four hours. Like, no problem. <laughs> Let's just knock that out. Right? So if we were to rely on all of my gifts, we would be in a heap of trouble. <laughs> Strategic is actually one of my top five strengths. So it's oh, funny nice. that you mentioned that because it is like I can... I almost see like all these paths. I'm like, go down this path. This is going to happen. Go down this path. This, you know, and going down all these things. So I like the idea of thinking, you said, in the um, the results and the purpose. Is that what you said? Res- um, results, possibilities. Possibilities, mm-hmm. yes. And then process and relationships and people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can do that. Good, good. Yeah, every project <laughs> needs all, all of those. Yeah. Um, and so when I communicate, I try to always think about communicating results process, relationships, and people, and then you're going to target the four main different personality or behavioral styles that we have in our workplace, Mm -hmm. and you'll be able to convey a a more thorough message because you naturally have a a way of thinking. So like I always think about people and results, and I have to remember to think about relationships and process intentionally so that I can communicate with those folks that are more driven by relationship and process. Is that a personality assessment that you take? Just you know, yes, it is. Like, how can you know which one you are best with? I yeah. Guess. So I'm a huge fan of the DISC behavioral mm-hmm. assessment, and if you've not done that in your workplace yet, I would highly encourage you to. It's a scientifically validated assessment that helps you understand your behavioral profile, how you react to stress, how you tend to deal with conflict, how you tend to communicate. And so DISC stands for your level of dominance, which is the delegator, the results-driven person. Mm -hmm. Um, Oftentimes they're rewarded in organizations because they're so results-driven. They're promoted very quickly to top leadership because that's what American culture Mm -hmm. um, values in leadership. And then I stands for influence, so charm, charisma, the be, be, being able to um, uh, win somebody over S is stability and steadiness. And so that those are your team players. They are the even Stevens throughout the day. There are the, they're friends who, when we bring up an idea, they're like, all right, how is the team going to get it done? How are we going to get it done? The downside to those friends is that they avoid uh, conflict like the plague. And so as soon as there's a little ripple and all change causes conflict, they're like, oh gosh, must hold on to the status quo because we can't have anybody's feelings hurt. And of course I'm talking in hyperbole and I'm talking about um, the extreme version of it without self-awareness. But when you have a lot of high S personality types in an organization, what you'll find is a stifling of healthy conflict Mm -hmm. and a stifling of change because they are even Stevens. And that's their gift, but you can't overuse it in an organization. And then C stands for level of conscientiousness. So those are our process-driven analytical friends, mm-hmm. and they think about the task first before they think about people. And so beautiful gift, we need that. But if you're always talking about, well, how are we going to get it done, and what's the process, and yeah. what's the first step, and what's the last step, you lose the other personality styles because they're thinking about results and people and different mm-hmm. types of resources. Sources. I'm a high D. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no. Results oriented. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But we work well together. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't it like the opposite corners? I think I remember in like a map that the disc is. It's like the opposite corners. Don't work well together. Oh, oh so it's the ones that touch the ones, each other? Yeah. But yeah. I have some C in me, so I feel like I'm 
DC, I guess. Yeah, because you had mentioned one of your issues in meetings was you were going to say, well, how are we going to get that done? Mm-hmm. And what's the process? Yep. That's high, that's C behavior. Yeah. Um, if you're also results-oriented, results mm-hmm. that's the D behavior. Um, there's probably different scenarios that trigger different responses yeah. in you. Yeah. I think woo is really, really low in me, so I don't know if I have much I. But mm. I do love the disc. And it's free, right? That one is not. Oh, Enneagram is free. Okay. That's a really great one. Um, we'll link that on our show notes then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Enneag- I'll, I'll give you guys a great Enneagram assessment. I haven't found a scientifically validated DISC assessment. Maybe they're out there. I just haven't seen it. Um, it's the first step I do with all of my clients mm-hmm. to help them build self-awareness and then to help me get to know them really well. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's huge. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the first step of being a pro troublemaker is knowing who you are. Yeah. You have to know what your gifts are. Um in order to do the work that you're meant to do. Yeah. I know that there's 10 steps to this process. Only 10. Only 10. <laughs> Only 10. I love 10, though. It's a nice round <laughs> number. <laughs> and we don't have to go through all 10, but what are some of the like big, big ones that we can work on? Yeah. So, as I mentioned, being a pro troublemaker, optimistic, growth-oriented, um, focused on working with people, being curious. In order to be all of those things, you have to know who you are. Because you have to understand what your emotional trigger points are, both for elevating your emotions and making them go down in the toilet. You know, we all have those situations where we're sitting in a meeting and someone we don't like says something and our brain, you know, this junk in our brain just is like, oh, God, she's here again. I can't believe she said that. I'm so sick of listening to her talk. Like, we all have that stuff, right? I don't want to pretend like we don't and it happens in our workplaces. So you have to know why you have those triggers. What sets Mm -hmm. you off? For supervisors, you have to understand what stops you from giving clear direct feedback to your people so that they can grow because you have your own head trash I just did a training with a group of managers yesterday and we talked about how to give feedback effectively and there's a process for doing that and I said the first step is to understand your head trash around all of it and it's the things like well I didn't give clear enough directions and I didn't give them the right tools and I didn't do this and I didn't do that that's irrelevant like that's like, yes, yes, learn that for the next time. You need to know that about yourself and about your managerial style. But just because you weren't perfect doesn't mean that you can't provide feedback because yeah. that's your job as a manager. Yeah. So we all get caught up in that stuff, um, unfortunately. So know what your head trash is. Know what um, gives you energy and joy and puts you in that feeling of flow. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're halfway there to being a pro troublemaker. Because you have to know what your work yeah. is to do, um, especially for those of us that have been in the nonprofit world. We're helpers. We want to save the world. We want to do all the things. Um, and that's great. Your job is not to save the world. Yeah. <laughs> your job is to do your part in your part of the world, whatever that means, right? Like yeah. there are folks who their mission is to fly in and out of a country in Africa and provide clean water. Yeah. Awesome, great, that's your thing. That you know, do more of that, but don't provide clean water in Africa and a country in Europe and in your own backyard and start another nonprofit <laughs> and da 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 because you can't do it all. Like you yeah. just can't. So you have to know what your work is to do. Mm-hmm. So for me, I know that coaching is the thing my soul was meant to do, yeah. and I found it the hard way, but I found it. And so that keeps me focused on how do I run a business so I can do more coaching. Like yeah. my soul was not made to do sales and to do bookkeeping yeah. for my business, but I accepted those responsibilities so I could do more coaching. Yeah. So, so once you know yourself, what's the next step? Next step is know who your people are that you do it with. Know who your tribe is, the people that not only support you, 
and love you unconditionally, but the most important piece is that they challenge you. You trust mm-hmm. you you trust each other so much that you can say the hard stuff to each other yeah. because they're going to help you step up your game. That's all there is to it. The friends that are always telling you how awesome you are, there's a place for them. We need that. We love them. They love us. But the challenge is what helps us be better mm-hmm. and to actually grow. So you need those people around you that are going to hold you accountable. I have a peer group that I meet with twice a month, and they call me out on my nonsense, and they tell me when maybe I'm being a bit too stubborn or I'm being, you know, one of my triggers is that I get kind of pessimistic, and so I need help stepping out of that sometimes. And so they call me out. All right, Stephanie, you're being too pessimistic. Like, see the bright side, which sounds funny, right? Like, I'm a unicorn. I know, I know, but it's a trigger. It's just an emotional trigger somewhere that my brain goes, and I need help stepping out of it sometimes. And uh, they call me out on it they celebrate my successes with me and we love each other we're there for each other that sounds difficult to hear someone say like like this is what you're doing wrong like that would be just I feel like that would take a lot I mean I can I can take feedback but I don't know that I could con like all the time or from an entire group like Alex you need to like you're I don't know you're being too negative you're being too all about yourself Mm. or something I think that would take some training, at least on my part, just to be able to accept that lovingly. Yes. And with and know that they are doing it because they care. Yeah. And maybe I just haven't heard it from the right people and that and that you said, you know, when you have the right people around you, that is really what matters. Yeah. What makes the difference. Yeah, they have to be your people, yeah. right? Like the people you just connect yeah. with. Um, I, I found that to be that's like the first requirement to being part of your tribe is like they're your people. <laughs> um and it takes vulnerability on your part. Yeah. Because you can't grow without vulnerability. So you have to be willing mm-hmm. to hear that stuff. Yeah. What's next? Uh, so step three is setting that energizing, uncomfortable vision for yourself, for your life, for your career. Um, being really bold and saying, this is what I want. And you can do the exact same thing with your team, with your department, within your organization. But it's the thing that gives you goosebumps when you talk about it. Like, I want to impact the world in X, Y, Z way. And so for me, you know, I'm here to help change makers make change happen. Like, I'm here to change systems that change the world. That's been an integral part of my mission for a really long time. And it makes my stomach flop a little bit because I'm like, oh, that's big work. But it gives me goosebumps because I'm like, oh, that's my important work. That's the thing I was meant to do that no one else was gifted with the package that I was gifted with to make happen. And so just accepting the responsibility that we are all here to do something big and important and impactful, you have to step up into it and accept the responsibility. How did you get over that uncomfortable feeling and then we're finally like, this is still what I'm meant to do? Mm -hmm. I'm uncomfortable, but... Oh, girl, it's an everyday thing. <laughs> every day, every day I have to accept the challenge. Otherwise, I could quit um, and, you know, go back and work for someone else or do some, do this work in another kind of way. But I think the myth is is that courageous people don't have fear. Courageous people re- um, act despite the fear. Mm-hmm. Um you know, I'm, I'm afraid of heights. And so I've been bungee jumping. I've been skydiving. I jump off the tall rock into the lake because I'm afraid of heights because I need to prove to myself that I can overcome these things. It's the same when I'm getting ready to go talk to a a new client that I haven't met yet that maybe I feel like is out of my league. And I'm like, Oh gosh, I don't know if I can help them. I don't know if I've ever done similar enough work. And as soon as I get into that meeting, I'm like, Oh, it's just another human being that has problems like every other human being. I can probably help them. And if not, I'm going to get them the best resource. And so it's just acting despite that fear. 
how do you know when you should struggle through something and when you should quit yeah. this vision? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's not an easy answer. I think it's a simple one. But you know when your intuition tells you what is true. Mm -hmm. So that requires that you're in touch with your head knowledge, your heart knowledge, and your intuitive knowledge. So your head is the one that thinks through everything, right? Like how much money is that going to take? And what's the timing? And who else do I need to be involved? Your heart's like, this is going to make me feel a certain way, afraid, Mm -hmm. happy, joyous, compassionate, creative. Your intuition is like, this is the path or this is not the path. Yeah. gives you really clear answers. And so being in touch with all three of those areas of knowing within your body and knowing when your intuition is telling you what the answer is. That yes, you either need to struggle through, it's not yeah. it's not you're not to the end yet or it's not your time to quit yet or this isn't your work to do. This was just a learning opportunity to get you kind of pivoted into the mm-hmm. right path. In your experience, do all three ever align? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 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 One of my favorite coaching exercises is when I ask folks, uh, you get to pose a simple question to yourself. And so, for example, I had a client who really was striving to be an executive director of this nonprofit she was running. And the board and the existing president was saying, you know, in a couple of years, you're going to be the executive director. And she was really struggling with it. Like, do I really? But yes, I do. And her ego wanted it, but she wasn't sure. And so we just asked her head, her heart, and her intuition, which sounds really weird, right? I get it. It sounds weird. You can do it for yourself. Do it when you're home alone in front of the mirror. But we asked her, do you want to be the executive director? And her head had all the answers. Yes, I would make more money. Yes, I would have prestige. Yes, I would have the title I want. And we asked her heart, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Like, I love this mission. I want to serve this mission. I love these clients. And then I said, intuition, do you want to be the executive director? Hell no. We're like, oh, where did that come from? And that was the real answer. And that freed her up to start job searching and finding her next step and better fitting into the organization now that she wasn't striving for something she wasn't meant to do. Wow. Yes. I mean, to me, that's so hard. To, like, if my head says yes and my heart says yes, mm-hmm. then to know that I don't want to do it, that'd be tough. Really to know yourself. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, and that's where yoga comes in and working out and meditating if you're into that. um, Or, you know, some kind of practice to help you just take a mental break. But you have to check in with all three of those areas of your knowing to get the true answer. Yeah. How long does it take to get there, do you think? (laughs) Yeah. How long you would have been working with her or something like that. (laughs) Oh, gosh, we hadn't been together that long. It's uh, freeing yourself from other people's expectations. That's where the other noise comes from. The career that your parents wanted you to have, the career that your, you know, the guidance counselor or your advisor in college told you you mm-hmm. should be having, the the job that your peer has that you don't have yet. Yeah. Like we're all on our own path, so you need to give yourself grace to live mm-hmm. on your own path and let go of other people's expectations and probably your own expectations, right? I've been, I've been ambitious. I've been a striver my whole life. Like, and I had expectations that were not my path. And so it took some, the universe, some tough talking to's of me (laughs) to get back on my path. (laughs) I know you do these 90 day sprints. Yes. What is that? It is after this step of uncomfortable vision, right? Yes. Yeah. So 
couple different thoughts when it comes to accomplishing the grand vision. We all think about it slightly differently. And some people are like, oh, I have the vision in mind. I'm going to race towards that thing, mm -hmm. right? It's not even a marathon. It's a sprint. So I got to go as fast as possible. And of course, it's going to be super linear. I'm going to go from point A to point Z as fast as I want. Yeah. And life does not work out like that at all. <sighs> and so some people want to take the grand plan. And let's say that grand vision is five years away. Yeah. And they're going to plan every day for the next five years. And this applies in the workplace and in your own personal goals, nothing ever goes according to plan. Like it's mm -hmm. just not possible. All right. plans go off the rails. And so you have to create flexibility and build an adaptability into your plans. And so that's why I'm a huge proponent of 90 day sprints. So let's say you have a five year plan. You're going to set goals for year one, two, three, and four and five based on what you know now. And then you're going to create action plans for 90 days at a time because something is go not going to go as you expected. And so you want to leave your room, yourself room to adapt to what unfolds. Mm -hmm. So for example, if you are launching a new marketing program and you have these grand ideas that this Facebook ad is going to get a thousand impressions in the first 30 days and it gets 200 impressions in, in the first 30 days, your plan has gone completely off the rails. And if you were committed to the plan, you're going to quit because you're probably frustrated and down in the dumps and like, well, gosh, I don't know how to make this happen now. Instead, if you're committed to the goal of a thousand impressions, all right, what is it really going to take to get a thousand impressions? Then you can allow yourself both mentally and in your actions to be more flexible to make it happen. So you have to be committed to the goals, but flexible on how the goals get accomplished. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I know it's so intuitive, right? right? Because I'm the plan. Before I learned about the 90 day sprints, I'm a planner. I'm like, of course, if I want something in five years, I'm going to plan every day between now and then. And then I'm going to get distracted because I love shiny objects. Yeah. And then I'm going to get really frustrated why the plan didn't happen because I spent time on my shiny objects. Yeah. And so we all have different things that we do when it comes mm -hmm. to accomplishing the grand vision. And so we have to build in uh, flexibility yeah. and allow ourselves also, I will say, to say no to the things that aren't part of the plan or aren't part of the grand vision. I think my trouble comes when I'm thinking of something that's like so far, like say it's five years out. I again think of like all the things that I have to do. Mm -hmm. And so I like this 90 day idea of, okay, well, this is what you're going to do for the next 90 days, not for the next five years, because that's very overwhelming. Yes. And I will just shut down and I will probably quit. Yep. But thinking about 90 days, that's not bad. That's three months. That's yeah. Not, that's, yeah. I can do that. I like that idea. Because I can go 90 days. Yeah. Well, we're already yeah. 90 days over 90 days. Oh, so true. I've done a couple <laughs> things for, I guess, since the beginning of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll tell you all what, my annual plan for my business is already off the rails. So I had to be adaptable. <laughs> like, that's how it goes. <laughs> what is next in this? What step are we on now? Five. Five. Okay, yes. We're going to get through all ten of these. I'm excited. Oh, hot dog. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so this piggybacks off the 90-day sprint, and that is being willing to be adaptable mm -hmm. and challenge the way things have always been done along the way, challenging the status quo, challenging the process, whatever labels you want to use there. But as a pro troublemaker, you have to be adaptable because none of us have all the answers. None of us know it all. None of us know exactly how things need to happen. And so we have to be willing to admit that to ourselves and be adaptable. And that's where your tribe comes in, right? They're going to tell yeah. you what else needs to happen here. They're going to have different gifts when you're more influential and someone else is more mm -hmm. process oriented, but 
you want to be able to push the envelope as you're doing these things, right? Never rinse and repeat a process if it's not working or, you know, look for ways to be continually improving something and push the envelope there because that's how you're going to grow. Yeah. Going into the next point, I watched a video that Stephanie did, and so I'm already kind of in the know about this one, and I really like it. So how can someone communicate effectively and with influence? Yeah, so one of the things that I most believe in is that we need to ask other people what motivate them in the workplace, in their lives. You know, oftentimes we have a hard time connecting with our colleagues, and it's because we have no idea why they're there every day. And so the simplest way to know how the, why they're there every day is to ask them, mm-hmm. like, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Like, why are you so excited about this work? What's your favorite part of your job? Mm-hmm. And then as you're designing projects, as you're working with them, build that messaging into how you talk to them because you're going to connect with them. It's not manipulative. Instead, it's just developing a very personal connection with somebody because you're connecting with something that's even deeper than that newsletter that has to go out once a month. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think we're, I was about to say the same thing. Uh, This reminds me of how Alex is in supervisor training right now and they were talking about you need to find what inspires you and you can't always be doing inspiring work, but you have to realize like, that is there, and that's something that you'll be able to do, um, and that's what kind of keeps employees at their jobs is when they're able to do yeah. that. So I asked, I mean, part of our homework, because I get homework each, I guess, every other week, and I had to ask Sarah, like, okay, well, what inspires you, and what do you enjoy doing? And it was a, a small part of her job, you know, it's the it's like the things like podcasting or the professional development. We can't mm-hmm. always be doing those things. But knowing what they are was super helpful just to, oh, well, she liked this opportunity. I can maybe, this is, maybe we could promote social, promote a project in this way so that she can do something that feels inspiring to her. Yes. And it's a simple question that I've never asked Sarah before, that I've never been asked before mm-hmm. this. And that seems strange. You just ask people. Yes. I mean, I even asked my husband, you know, and it wasn't like a, He's more of a processor, so I asked him, and I expected an answer, and he was like, can I think on it? And I was like, I mean, I guess. I'm more like a, <laughs> I would like the answer now, but yes, okay, that's fine. So. Good adapt- adaptation to his needs. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yes, all of my coaching clients that I have that supervise people, they'll at some point will have a session about them being frustrated because they don't know why their people work there. And so it's very simple of, have you asked them? Well, no okay, maybe you should do that. (laughs) Right? Because we want to work with people who are passionate about what they do. And I think it's less than acceptable that we have 70% disengagement Mm -hmm. rates in our workplaces. That's heartbreaking to me. It's not only a very expensive problem for any organizational budget. It's heartbreaking to know that so many people are showing up emotionally disengaged from their work and or actively undermining their companies. Yeah. What if someone says, my inspiration is my paycheck every other week? Yeah, you need to encourage them to dig deeper and and um, ask around that question. Mm-hmm. So either, you know, well, is there something you really enjoy at yeah. work? Or, you know, if you had to just pick one of your favorite things to do here, what would it be? Mm-hmm. And if they're truly there for money, that is not the, sus- the sustainable um engagement piece that will keep them there for the long term. It might end the short term. And there are there are a very small percentage of employees who truly are there for the paycheck because they have some kind of personal passion that yes. they're using that money to fund 
um, outside of work, mm-hmm. and that's okay, but I'm telling you, friends, that's one out of 250 employees. Like, that is not the norm. And as human beings, we deserve to have work that fulfills us mm-hmm. because of the amount of time that we spend there, the relationships that we have. I mean, yeah. the the right to valuable work is just innate in all human beings. Yeah. We need more of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I learned. Good, good. And don't be afraid, you know, if, if you're not in the right place, don't be afraid to find the right place. There are so many jobs out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you will find the right culture, the right organization, the right relationships. That is the best place for you. But don't burn bridges. Oh, no. If you are unhappy somewhere and you think that they are not inspiring you, I feel like it is on you as well. I get That frustrates me when people are like, I'm just going to get out of here and I don't care about this organization because it always comes back. Yes. Always comes back. Yes, yeah, that's just not a smooth yeah. move. Yeah. Well, at some point, you know, the, the employee who's always complaining about the organization, really what they're trying to say, but they can't articulate are my needs aren't being met. Mm-hmm. And so their answer to that is to blame everyone around them when it's your responsibility to know what your needs are, to articulate them, ask for them and get them met. Yes. So if you're not in the right culture, you don't have the coworkers that are the best fit for you, you need to find that. Mm-hmm. And it's about asking for what you want as well. I oh, think. yes. I think people get afraid to just to ask. We've had conversations around just flexibility and being flexible, and some people are probably more shy about asking their supervisors to be flexible, but then they see other people... I mean, possibly me because I, you know, I have kids and I have to have a flexible schedule and they're like, but she gets so much flexibility. I'd be like, I have asked for it. Mm -hmm. Like, and they've just said yes. Yes. So, but I've been here longer. And so it's easier for me to like, just know what I can and can't ask for. But I think it's also about just, gosh, just go up there and ask, be brave. And just, if they, is it the worst thing that they're going to say no? So. Yes. Yeah. Because your manager has a thousand things on his or her brain. You're one of a thousand. And I don't think they mean to be insensitive, but we're all just juggling so much. You have to put yourself front Mm -hmm. and center. And really what it comes down to is you have to feel like you deserve what you need. Yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, that's your first bit of work is Mm -hmm. to understand you do deserve to have your needs met. Yes. Completely agree. Mm -hmm. A lot of women struggle with that and Mm -hmm. it breaks my heart. Yeah. So number seven. Number seven. All right. (laughs) So I think I think the theme flows from what we're talking about, but it's about unifying others around the work. So no one does this work alone. No one can accomplish something big by themselves. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that as a pro troublemaker, you need to unify people. So at a bare minimum, you're not gossiping. You're not spreading gossip. You're not passively listening to gossip and not responding mm-hmm. or shutting it down. You have a responsibility to bring people together and help them see other perspectives. And so if you have a colleague who's commu- who's um, complaining about someone else, you know what, what you don't understand about that person is that she's dealing with this at home. That's yeah. why she's really stressed out. Or what you don't understand is that she has three bosses who are giving her conflicting information. Mm-hmm. That's why she's not giving you the results that you want to see. Yeah. So how can we help create clarity for her yeah. versus complain about her right now? At convention this past year, Lindsay Bacardo was the speaker and we talked a little bit about shutting down the, uh, rumors and just the bad talking and she's mm-hmm. she came up with this call and she was like anytime someone is you know talking badly or we're getting on that track just do a dove call just do the dove and I, it goes like 
saying, but like, so for all the Sigma Kappas, just do the little dove call, and that means you're shutting it down. You don't even have to say it. You can just do that. I did not do it right. And if you're not a Sigma Kappa, the dove yeah. is our symbol. Just <laughs> FYI, it wasn't just a random bird that you picked. It has something to do with us. I just like that because it can be hard to shut down. Mm-hmm. Those people are your friends. You don't want to be, you might think that you're being mean to them, but really it's so respectful to others. It is, it is. And the unfortunate piece of gossip is that you're destroying trust not only with the person you're gossiping about, but between the two of you right yeah. there in the room because you leave that person thinking, oh my gosh, what is she going to say about me? Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate, and I don't think people intend that l- to gossip to be that destroying of relationships, but it really is. You know, one of the things I had to learn the hard way as an adult, because I came from a family where, so my mom has six sisters. They don't like each other, but they get together all the time, and then they (laughs) gossip about each other. So that's what I learned about women, right? Like, that's what you did. And so it took me a long time to learn to not gossip, because that was my conversational habit that I learned. And now that I think about what I used to do, I'm like, that's horrible. Like, I'm embarrassed about how I used to behave, but I didn't know. But a lot of relationships are actually built around just talking about other people. Yes. So we need to get away from that, y'all. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, so unifying unifying people together, not Mm -hmm. being someone that separates each other. Mm -hmm. And that goes for, you know, your team against the company, your team against the leaders. Like, y'all are on one team. Like, it is not an us versus them. That does not exist. That is something we make up in our minds um, Mm -hmm. to blame other people and not take responsibility for how we're showing up. So then step eight is innovating by connecting new ideas in creative ways. So there's this adage kind of in the entrepreneur space that there are no new ideas. Everything is an evolution on another idea, right? We love Airbnb. We love Uber. We're like, oh, what great new ideas. We all the internet, apps, and hotels existed before Airbnb did, okay? (laughs) So they're not this thing that just dropped from the sky and this brand new idea. Um, you know, they, they capitalized on several trends and brought them together and connected new ideas like the sharing economy and the gig economy and excess resources and the internet and app development technology uh-huh. to create Airbnb, but they didn't bring that out of nothing. No. And so, you know, just not putting the pressure on yourself to believe that if you want to do something big and important and innovative, you have to come up with this big, new, <laughs> brand new idea no one's ever heard of because you're not going to do it. Yeah. Um, one of the things I've learned from my innovation friends is that there's actually three types of innovation. So one is incremental, one is kind of this midway step, and then one is revolutionary like the iPod or the iPhone which was still an evolution of something else but we'll talk about that another day but chances are your job is to be incremental uh, you know have continuous improvement in your organization so make sure every time you touch a project at work you're just taking it up a level and looking at it with fresh eyes or asking in a new perspective or a new opinion on how you could do it better that's your job yeah. your not job is not to like leapfrog everything you do and you know if you're responsible for a sales goal and you think oh I'm going to do it bigger and better next year and I'm going to double my sales goal for next year it's probably not going to happen how could you push yourself to grow by 25%, not just 10%? Yeah. That's standard. Yeah. I feel like Sarah feels this a lot because she does our social media. And so she has marketing plans that she creates. And then pretty much every year we have the same things that go on. And so we bring up the old marketing plan. And it's like, how can we do this different this year? Mm-hmm. But Sarah's really great at that. I mean, 
it's just tweaking it slightly and stuff. Yeah, but. exactly. Mm-hmm. You're not coming up with an entirely new plan. You have the base. Yeah. You have the outline. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just adapting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Refreshing it. Yes, adapting, refreshing, bringing in some yeah. maybe new technology. I think this podcast is a great example mm-hmm. of we need a fresh voice. We need to reach people in a new yeah. way. So let's, what can we try? Yeah. Yes, that's what innovation is, not the big new shiny yeah. thing. So yeah. take the pressure off yourself. And then the next step, and this is my favorite, but, um, well, probably my second favorite to challenging the status quo. <laughs> Who are we kidding? Um, but it's holding yourself and others accountable. There is not enough accountability in our organizations today, and I say that from hard-earned experience, and the simple way to have accountability is to always do what you say you will do, always. You know, I have so many people that I work with, and it's, oh, I'll get you that report tomorrow, Mm -hmm. and the report doesn't come for three days past tomorrow. Yes, and that person has just taken a little ding off the trustometer with me because I'm like, I can't trust you to do what you say you Mm -hmm. will do. So that applies to small things and that applies to big things. That applies to our relationships, our marriages, our, um, you know, our workplaces, all of that. But anymore, like this notion of following through in a timely way is really falling off the radar in organizations. And what's unfortunate is that if you don't have accountability, you can't have commitment, you can't have conflict, and you can't have the results that you want yeah. to see in your organization. And so people have to follow through in order for things to change. And it's easy to get frustrated with other people for not following through. You need to make sure that first you are always following through mm-hmm. on your word and setting expectations um, and then figure out how you can help other people do that, but you have to model the way first. This drives me nuts, especially when people don't follow through, but then they don't follow up on the day that they're supposed to get it to you even to say, I'm yes. not going to get this to you today. I'll yep. get it to you in three days or something like that. If you would just let me know that, then I think it alleviates that frustration even because, again, I would like it today, but it's just nice to have that update. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, most people, you know, the reason they can't get two things on time is because they have promised themselves to too many people for too many things. Mm-hmm. So then they're, then they're embarrassed that they have to come back to you and say, I can't hit my deadline. So instead, they're just silent. But this goes back to knowing what your work is to do, number one. If you know what your work is to do, you don't promise yourself to everybody around you, you promise, you know, for the 10 things that you can do the best and you manage your productivity. So you know what's on your plate. You know what those timelines are. You're always being proactive with your calendar so that you can do what you say you will do. But people don't do the back end work so they can follow through. Okay. Ready for number 10. Oh, number the 10. Last one. We need a drum roll. Or, I like, know. or the dove thing. The dove <laughs> thing. That was really embarrassing. Good call. That was not a dove. That was definitely not a dove. I wouldn't know the difference between a dove and a pigeon, so it all sounds great to me. Lindsay <laughs> Picardo was really good at it. So yeah. I'll have to call her. And then insert over this. That's funny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So number 10 is making sure that we are generating momentum with ourselves and with others by celebrating big and small wins. Mm -hmm. So very simply acknowledging when you do something awesome or just kind of awesome. Um, you know, for example, for me, whenever I get a new client, I'm so excited and I go home and I tell my husband, I'm like, Oh my gosh, I get to work with this person. Oh my gosh, we're going to do such great (laughs) things together. And, um, Sometimes I'll even set goals with certain contracts if I win it. I'm like, when I win it, I'm going to buy myself a bottle of cava because I love cava, which is like the Spanish version of Prosecco. Mm -hmm. So, like, that's my thing. And it's (laughs) $9.99. Yeah. 
but it's my thing because I like some bubbly in my life. Um, but setting ways to celebrate the work that you're yeah. doing versus just keep plowing through and driving through and slogging through mm-hmm. all the work. We need to break it up and make sure we celebrate ourselves and others. And I was going to say, and the others part. We yes. do this little recognition wall at work, and we celebrate small wins and big wins with pretty much small pieces of paper and big pieces of paper. <laughs> so you, like, organize it. But then we read them aloud during our staff meetings, and it doesn't even say anyone's name. You can sign your name, I guess. Usually people don't. But it's just fun. It's fun when you hear your name, and yes. you're like, wow, they actually saw and appreciated that, and it just feels good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We need, like, we as human beings need that in our lives. Yeah. Um, there's just too much going on for us to not pause. Yeah. yeah. Stephanie, so you have an email newsletter that you send to your subscribers once a month. Did you want to talk about that and what they will get out of that if they wanted to sign up? Yeah. For my friends listening who are really intrigued by this idea of being a pro troublemaker, you want to learn more, you want to go deeper, you want to figure this out. I have a monthly email subscription that you could sign up for. And what I'd love to offer all of my, all of these listeners today is three free months of that. And after that, it's only 13 bucks a month, but it's just basically 10 tips every month of curated resources on innovation, change management, leadership that you can take and integrate into your work immediately after you read them. But there's just so many great resources out there. I found that for my clients, they were having a hard time understanding, you know, which one do I use and when? And, you know, you Google leadership, you're going to get 66 million results. Mm -hmm. And so every month I put together 10 tips based on these 10 tips of being a pro troublemaker just to help you go deeper. So would love to offer that for our listeners today who are intrigued by this notion and want to take it a step further. If you're not ready for that, I also do a biweekly Um, vlog posting with me rapping about changing the world, leading with influence, shaking things up a little bit. Um, You're welcome to sign up for those on my website as well. We'll put links to both in the show notes. Yep, Mm -hmm. we will. Seemycapa.org slash podcast. We'll have it there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been great. I think that our listeners will, our lowdowners will get a lot (laughs) out of this and they will become pro troublemakers in their lives now. Yeah. Yeah. Yahoo. Yeah. Yeah. And like, like I tell everyone, you know, this is an invitation for you to accept. Um, I believe it is for everybody, but if you want to choose to be a pro troublemaker, it's amazing to live a life full of joy and compassion and being able to be really clear about what your work is to do. It's really freeing from all the other obligations that we tend to create for ourselves. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you.